You are listening to Wait a Minute with Beth and Jessica. Episode 37. Hi, I'm Jessica Pearson, a certified life coach. And I'm Beth Barnett Bewell, integrative nutrition therapist. Hello. Hello. Okay. I wanted to talk about perfectionism today because this is a theme that honestly, it just keeps haunting so many of my clients. Okay. I have a lot of really high achieving clients who are used to being the best at what they do, right? Like Mm they, you know, are lawyers and, you know, people in really amazing, powerful positions in their careers. And they're used to getting straight A's their whole life. Mm -hmm. So naturally they try to apply the principles of perfection to food. And that looks like, you know, they desire holding on to food rules or structure pretty tightly. And yet when they step out of that structure, their brain makes it mean that that is some huge failure. And when they believe that like one, that they failed, And two, Mm -hmm. that failure is a terrible thing. They end up making it worse for themselves by holding on to that guilt and shame, which usually looks like, you know, giving up or eating all the things because the next mindset is, well, I messed up, so I might as well throw it all away. Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I, I see it a lot in my clients as well. And I'm also, when I was thinking about that scenario that you wrote and, you know, then it's like, okay. I'm also wondering if some people do not totally recognize it as perfectionist behaviors, but that they can recognize it as all or nothing thinking. And so that concept of each meal or eating event is its own thing. And one doesn't necessarily determine the other. That doesn't compute for them because it's like, yeah, it's all or nothing, which is like, if I'm not perfect, then I'm not going to do it at all. Yeah. I don't know that many people walk around being like, I'm a perfectionist. Like it's not necessarily a label that you want to try on. (laughs) I don't know. Some people really hold it as a bad. That's true. That's true. I guess. Yeah. Well, have you ever, have you ever identified as a perfectionist? Yeah. And also a perfectly failed one at that. (laughs) It's definitely, you know, something that I had thought that you have to do everything really well. It's that whole concept of like, you have to, you know, do things like well and blah, blah, blah. There wasn't, I feel like a lot of talk about like, do your best, you know, and if you fail, it's a problem. Like that just like, wasn't like a mainstay of conversation of, of a kid of the eighties and early nineties, uh-huh. you know? And so there are still components of my life that I think I still very much get sucked into of thinking like a perfectionist mindset, but of course it creates a lot of stress for me. And then it's not until I feel that stress and I see, Oh, okay. <laughs> What's going yeah. on? What about you? Oh yeah. Well, for the longest time, as someone who never really made great grades, like school was just not my jam. That's where my perfectionist started. Was there? Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, like you, I feel like I'm an '80s kid. My parents, I mean, they were not high pressure parents. They were just like, you're fine. <laughs> 
I don't remember them being really particularly upset with me about not getting straight A's, you know, Mm -hmm. but I was diagnosed with ADD in fifth grade, got put on whatever version of Adderall was available back in like 89. (laughs) And I did get straight A's after getting on meds, which is really interesting, but I never would have thought I had perfectionist tendencies really until starting our business back in like 2014. I think I had more opportunities to realize some of these, you know, behaviors were like, oh, it's because I have this like fear of like, what if it doesn't work out? What will people think? You know, procrastination. I always thought like, oh, I'm just lazy, but it's actually a form of perfectionism because you don't want to start until you have the perfect idea. And then you can spend months honing in on that perfection. Like you could spend months like thinking of a logo or a name for a program and just use that as an excuse Mm -hmm. to halt your progress, which is a form of perfectionism. And then, you know, we do new things all the time. There's also fear of like what other people will think, you know, Mm -hmm. if I start a podcast and other people don't like it, then I'm not perfect and that won't feel good. So maybe I just shouldn't do it. Right. But then we just do it. Like we, I feel like in the years we've been able to kind of overcome these, these things, but it's like, I just always thought perfectionism looked like being the best all the time, Mm -hmm. but it can also look like hiding or holding back or not showing up at all. And it's just trying to avoid failure by failing ahead of time, which is like classic perfectionism for some of us. Yeah. I can definitely relate to a lot of that, especially the procrastination. So not starting until you feel like it's, you know, perfect is very much alive and well. And I wonder if I was thinking, I was like, I wonder if that's my resistance to creating social media. <laughs> Cause I am always like, what do I do? I don't know. So I don't do anything at all. And I'm like, ah, oh, Jessica's got it. And then my personal account is like basically dead fish at the moment. It's like, there's nothing going on there. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't really have anything interesting to share. Oh, well, that's an interesting thought for sure. But also <laughs> you might just not be a social media person and like, that's okay. Who knows? So, yeah. I think sometimes it is hard to know. It's like, well, like, why am I doing it or not doing it and do it? Like, yeah, my personal is probably like, I don't really care that much, but for work, I'm always stressed about like, well, if I don't get it just right, then it will do nothing. And then it will just be like this dead algorithm page that's making it worse for our page to grow. (laughs) But anyways, we digress. My son is also super perfectionist. And I swear I didn't teach it to him because he's been like this since he was learning to walk. Like he's not one of those kids that got up 700 times, you know, and fell on his ass before he, you know, started walking. It was like, he kind of would cruise. And then one day he just started walking because it almost was like he wasn't going to do it until he like (sighs) had it down. And he's still that way. Like he won't start anything unless he thinks it's going to be perfect. And if it's not, oh my gosh, walk out, like hold, like you got to find shelter because it's quite the uh, big, big feelings. feelings. (laughs) Well, we're going to dive more deeply into perfectionism. And I guess Mm -hmm. I just want to offer to people like y'all perfectionism isn't real. It's fake. It doesn't exist. We all drop the ball. Mm -hmm. Like there's, you know, and nobody can hold everything together 10 out of 10, a hundred percent of the time because we are human and not robots. And thank goodness we are not robots. Yeah. I dropped the ball 
twice in the last 16 hours and I was asleep for about seven of them. So <laughs> wait, seven out of two? <laughs> oh, you mean the hours? But yeah. In the last 16 hours, I made two fairly, you know, big mistakes and seven of those 16 hours I was asleep. So <laughs> it came in pretty rapid succession there. One upon going to sleep. And then, and then when I got up this morning, <laughs> amazing. Well, that was the irony is like, I was pulling up this podcast to write our notes on perfectionism and failure. And then mm. I was like, wait, I don't see our podcast that's supposed to go live tomorrow in the queue. And so I texted you and I was like, "Uh uh-oh. And then it was so interesting because like I felt that stomach drop feeling of Mm -hmm. like, oh, I missed the target. And then I was like, wait, was it, was I supposed to do it? Or, you know, I was like, what's happening? And then I was like, it doesn't matter. Like, we're just going to sort this out. Like I go through the process so quickly now. And then it's also like a part of me feels very freaked out and concerned, but then I'm able to say, oh, it's just a podcast. Like if we launch it late, it's not the end of the world. Right. No one's going to die. No one's life is in danger. (laughs) No. And I don't have to make it mean terrible things about myself because it wasn't done the way that we normally do it. Right. It's like, fine. You know? So yes, we all drop the ball. Okay. So you are reading Brene Brown's queen, you know, Atlas mm-hmm. of the Heart right now, which I think I have on audio, but I know that her books are so much better, like when it's tangible. Yeah. This one's like really pretty. It's got like pictures and yeah, it's definitely not quite the same. And it's definitely not a back to front reader. You can definitely skip from section to section. It's really great. Perfect for my brain. Yes. So she has a section in there on perfectionism and I was like, oh, this is perfect. So she states in her book, as we said, Atlas of the Heart, perfectionism is not striving to be our best or working towards excellence. Healthy striving is internally driven and perfectionism is externally driven by a simple but potentially all-consuming question, what will people think? So juicy. It's so true. Yeah. And so then she says, most perfectionists were raised being praised for achievement and performance, good grades, good looks, their sports, rule following, people pleasing. And somewhere along the way, we adopt this debilitating belief system. I am what I accomplish and how well I accomplish it. And what they found in research is that perfectionism hampers success. Yeah. And I think we know that from what I was talking about, it hampers your success because you're like so afraid of that external value. And Mm -hmm. because you tie that external, you know, need to your internal self-worth, it's terrifying Mm -hmm. to do something. And so you're like, I'm just not going to do it. So then you're like, I just won't be successful. (laughs) It's too, too scary. Yeah. So you don't even like begin. It is like a, such a interesting concept or like people will do it thinking that they're doing it perfect. And then they get a feedback that it wasn't perfect. And then that is like earth shattering as well. And then it can set them up for like not doing the same in the future. So they will then start holding back on it instead of, you know, being like, Oh, okay. And realizing it's from it is because we've been taught for so long that we have to do it this way and be really good at it, everything. And it's like, wait, well, how can we be good at something if we don't mess up and learn along the way? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I'm also glad what, or what she said about rule following and people pleasing. Cause I think that really shows up for people in their relationship with food. This is like, I think the rule following is why people like diets. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, just, you know, people come, they're like, just tell me what to do. Just give me a set of rules and I can follow them. I'm, I'm the person that can uh, follow the rules, you know? And right, it's like, yeah. what if there are no rules? Like that feels really scary for a lot of people to right. be like, wait, you're not going to give me like a black and white set of what to eat, what not to eat, how and when. I'm like, yeah. Oh. And that's like, yeah. what? How am I supposed to be perfect if there's no <laughs> no guide to perfection? And then like people pleasing comes up a lot in that emotional realm with food, right? It's like mm-hmm. boundaries with food or, you know, having to make decisions based around food because you're worried about what other people are gonna think. Right. Yeah, that that is an interesting concept because I think about, well, people that are on a journey that have these health goals, right? They are like, okay, this is how I want to eat and then things like that. And they're like, well, but when I go to this person's house, I can't eat like that because it will offend them that I'm not eating their food. And so then they just feel very conflicted by all of it because they want to be perfect in their way of showing up for themselves. But then they also want to show up perfect that they are accommodating and willing to do whatever this other right. person thinks of them. And that would, that's a total mind fart. <laughs> well, it's just so conflicting. You're like, who am I yeah. pleasing? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. So then I'll just kind of end it at the end of her perfectionism section in the book that I felt like was pretty spot on. So feeling shamed, judged, and blame, and the fear of those feelings are realities of the human experience. Perfectionism actually increases the odds that we'll experience these painful emotions and often leads to self-blaming. It's my fault. I'm feeling this way because I'm not good enough. That feels like heavy in my body when you say that. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Yeah. So let's all collectively decide we are no longer going to try to be perfectionists anymore. Well, you read part of it too earlier to me because we were kind of going over what you want to talk about. But there was also the word mastery in there, which was like looking at something as you know, mastery versus perfectionism. And I think there was a maybe definition of mastery. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I did want to include that. I thought it was so good. Yes. So they said in their research, they learned that achieving mastery requires curiosity and viewing mistakes and failures as opportunities for learning. Perfectionism kills curiosity by telling us that we have to know everything or we risk looking less than. Yes. I love that so much. Yeah. Mastery requires curiosity and viewing mistakes and failures as opportunities for learning. And that's, you know, what we tell people all the time in their learning how to eat for them journey is, is like, you're totally going to fail and it's going to be okay because we have to see where it comes up and how we're going to learn from it. Instead of just thinking you're going to adopt this quote unquote new meal plan and live like that forever. Cause that's not at all feasible or possible. I just love this so much because it kind of covers failure without talking so much. (laughs) (laughs) 
just like, okay. yes, let's like when we're not hitting the mark of like what we thought we were going to do, we can either make that mean like, I'm going to be curious about why it went down this way. And maybe I will learn something from it versus saying like, oh, well, I just, this is another thing I knew I was going to fail at. I, I can't succeed. So I might as well just, mm-hmm. you know, quit. Where I'm like, no, in most cases we can learn and we can pivot and we can keep going. And like when we have commitment to ourselves that gets us through that process of mastery and learning versus Mm -hmm. being perfect. And you're like, oops, I failed. I guess I can't do this. I'm done. Right. Just giving up altogether. Yeah. So I don't know. I just really feel like you can't fail with food. Like it's not like we're doing brain surgery and if you mess that up, the person's going to die. Right. I mean, I can only think of like a random thing. It's like you've anaphylactic to peanuts, right. but other than that, like, it's right. like other than that, you know, like that's pretty much it. And that's not even the same thing per se. It is in some cases, you know, if you're at a restaurant and you tell people that, you know, there's nothing in it, but yeah. 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 There are some extreme cases. Yeah. So when we take those extremes, <laughs> Monday brain. You know, when you take those extremes out, we really look at it. It is, it's just food and it's just a meal or just a snack or just one event. Yeah. And so when we can look at it from a place of curiosity, we can ask ourselves like, well, okay, maybe I don't feel good after eating that, or I'm having an emotional response after I'm eating that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be curious with that. Like, how can it be data? you know, and just mm-hmm. reviewing this experience as data. And then I can apply whatever data I learn to the next experience. Right. Um, which is how it gets you out of that diet thinking, which yes. diet thinking is the all or nothing, you know, all or nothing to look perfect, which is not possible either. This is the the whole being nice to ourselves thing, right? Mm-hmm. So when we're failing, we're just saying terrible things to ourselves. And because it's like, there's that physical feeling of failure that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And that comes along with all of the thoughts that are terrible about ourselves. And it's easy right. to dwell in that and to take action from there versus like, ooh, how can I sit with this feeling of discomfort? And then how do mm-hmm. I give myself grace? to move through it and move forward without having to throw it all away. Yeah. You know, when we're kind of thinking about this is that I want people to give themselves lots of grace in the ups and downs in the arena of food, because if you really think about it, there are way too many variables that can quote unquote derail, you know, what seems like a perfect plan And so, you know, I think that it's so easy for people to not eat in the way that they think they should for their goals. If your schedule gets off and you find yourself out needing food, it's very hard to find the things that you want to eat or think you should eat, like the health supportive foods. Like it is difficult out there. And then another thing that that we don't really give ourselves grace for is that we are just too overloaded with the number of things that we have to think and consider and do in a day. So we are short circuiting and oftentimes we short circuit around food because it is a base need that we have. And so we go to what we are primed to do, which is to find food in the fastest, most efficient way possible. 
And so it's like, okay, if we can just go with the grace of what life is, that it's going to be okay. Not all the meals are going to be perfect. And they aren't anyway. And like you said, we just take data points and we learn. Well, also, it's, it's a it's like sometimes you're just in survival mode. You're just doing the best that you can. And if you mm-hmm. if you find yourself in survival mode for one meal or three years, it's like you're just doing the best that you can. Mm-hmm. And it is those little things that you can incorporate small, you know, versus yeah. being like, oh, I have to do a full 180 and I have to be perfect at this new life. Like that's just, that's asking so much. And also when you were talking about schedules, it's like, yeah, it is busy. Just for someone with healthy boundaries, it's still very busy. But mm-hmm. when we go back to that idea of people pleasing and perfectionism, a mm-hmm. lot of times I feel like people are overscheduled and doing things they don't even want to do. Right. Because yeah. it goes back to that level of perfectionism. So it is a lot to unpack. It is a lot to unpack. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're just, hey, we're not perfect. Did you know no. that I'm not perfect? I did. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's very freeing to know that, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, I'm I'm imperfect and that's totally fine. Yes, it's fine. There are many days that it's fine and there are some days that doesn't feel fine. And that's okay. Those are still feelings that I get to have. That's the human experience, right? It's like we don't feel good all the time. Right. And we don't have to use food to fix it. In Atomic Habits, James Clear says that the pain of failure correlates with the height of expectation. Failing to attain something you want hurts more than failing to attain something that you didn't think much about in the first place. So in other words, when we believe we weren't perfect enough in our eating plan for the day or week, then the failure is perceived as more painful because many people do have such a strong desire to attain that perfect image of themselves. And so then if we couple this with our perfectionist ways, many people's weight loss efforts are driven by external factors of looking like a particular social norm. So the failure is even more painful because it's got shamed all wrapped up in there. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. Let's just leave it there. Okay. Sounds good. So it's time for our weekly segment of where we keep our eyes peeled out for things in the media or in real life that come from diet culture or that perpetuate diet culture in some way. These are often the subtle ways it creeps in, which is why we are shining a light on it and sharing it with you. Jessica? We actually had a few this week, but I started with the first one that we talked about. Because we we were really on a roll back and forth with all of the things we found this week. Okay. So I bought a small bag of candy at Target. Mm -hmm. They're the smart sweets because my curiosity got the best of me. Like it is cute packaging. It's bright colors. I've seen people on Instagram endorsing it. Celebrities. They're like, just do it. I've not seen that. I've just seen them at Target. Okay. What'd you get? What'd you purchase? I realized that after you told me what you got that I had just purchased these lollipops for kids, you know, my daughter's birthday party for the little goodie bags that she wanted to make. And then I was like, oh, 
didn't read the ingredients. I just saw on the label only <laughs> one gram of sugar. And I was like, well, those might taste terrible. Who knows? Throw it in the back. We got, we got to keep moving here. Yeah. So it's great marketing. It's great marketing. Yeah. It's like three, this one was like three grams of sugar. And there are only two options. It was either Peachios or Swedish fish. And I love okay. a Peachio. I hate a Swedish fish. So but here's the thing is the texture of the PGO was that of a Swedish fish, which was chewy and it stuck to my teeth. Mm. So that was not, I mean, just that alone was enough for me to say like, that's probably not the best option for me. Just everything else aside. Mm-hmm. Not that I, I mean, you know, I don't really eat candy all that often, but okay. So then I looked at the nutrition and the ingredients because I was like three grams of sugar that always gives me pause. I'm like, so what is it? <laughs> Okay. So the ingredients, it was like, it's rice, flour, and potato starch based, which kind of explains the texture to me. I feel like rice Mm -hmm. and potato can be kind of like stickier, Mm -hmm. but it also had stevia, which I'm not the biggest fan of. Yeah. It was, it must've been a very small amount because it wasn't so bad, but definitely left that aftertaste that I really don't like. And then what I forgot to mention to you in our first conversation about it, I didn't really read disclaimer, but it talks about allulose. Do you know what allulose is? I've heard of it. I looked it up and that information is no longer with me. Can you refresh? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can. There's actually like an amazing disclaimer on the package because I I totally missed the disclaimer. I don't know how... I guess I was just too busy stuffing PGOs in my mouth to pay attention. (laughs) (laughs) You were trying to get them stuck out of your teeth to pay attention to them. Yeah. Here's the disclaimer. Allulose is a non-artificial sweetener that is found in foods like raisins and figs. It tastes like sugar, but it doesn't act like sugar in your body. Mm. This hashtag kick sugar candy has 11 grams of allulose per bag. Since allulose isn't absorbed by the body, you can subtract it along with the fiber to find only 18 grams of nut carbs. So the reason why it's interesting, I didn't notice it because I was so busy looking at the actual nutrition facts because it said, oh yeah, only three grams of sugar, but it had 42 total carbohydrates. Mm. So I was like, 42? That's a bagel. Exactly. I was like, I don't understand this. And I know that, you know, with diet math, we can subtract fiber. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's kind of, you know, taking it down a little bit. But I didn't know that you were also allowed to subtract the allulose. So that's what I learned mm-hmm. after I did. It's like in the keto foods, when you subtract the sugar alcohol yes. and then you get to count just the net carbs. Yeah, this is I, that's why I don't like part of the reason why I hate keto is all the diet math. It's like, oh, but we can do diet math and subtract and subtract and then therefore it doesn't count. But I'm like, I don't know. Is this true? Like, how do we know this? Unless I have like a blood glucose monitor and I actually know that my body is not right. processing this. I don't know. So I just, I don't love a diet math. And no. I, I happened to be at a gas station recently and I saw regular PGOs and I was like, huh, I wonder what the carbohydrate load is, you know, mm-hmm. and the serving size is only three gummies. Mm-hmm. Real How many were in the smart suite? Oh, you get a whole bag. So it's probably How many like, is in the whole bag? Do you know? I would say like 15. Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like enough where you would be like, oh, I, I can just pound these. Like it felt substantial in quantity, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Like I didn't finish them because I was annoyed by them sticking to my teeth. But so anyway, in the real bag, it was 23 grams for three gummies. Mm -hmm. 
So then I was like, well, me personally, because I don't need that sensation of going back for more and more and more. Like I personally would just rather have three or four of the real deal and then like go about my life or just choose neither. I'm like, I'm kind of a more of a chocolate person anyway. So I would maybe do like, you know, peanut M&Ms or something, but it just... Yeah, because rice flour and potato starch are really no better for you than is sugar. Yeah, because the first ingredient is soluble corn fiber, which like, you know, that's a very highly processed corn product, Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's just all this other like weird fibery stuff. And I don't know, it's just, it's not, to me, I don't know that it's any better than the corn syrup in a regular candy. So, you know, I don't think one is necessarily better or worse than the other. I don't know. Yeah. Neither sounds ideal, but I think I'd rather, yeah, what would I choose? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. If I were like, here's, here's peachios and here's this. So I think I'd choose something that had less ingredients overall. I mean, I don't love, I know what like corn fructose does to you. Like that's, that's really, really hard on our body, but still, if I, you know, at that point I'm eating candy. So what does it matter? I think, you know, I would probably eat the real thing because I don't like to support products that <laughs> do things that, that make, and to me, that is like, you know, you're, I, I would be supporting a product that is making people do diet math and continue the whole like diet. This is better because yeah. you get to do diet math. And so you get to feel like you're eating more, but you're really not. It's not any better. Yeah. And again, we always say like, there are no good or bad foods. It's like, what is the dose that feels good in your body? And so there might be reasons why you would choose one or the other. But for me, I personally, I always prefer the real deal in more moderation than being like, here's a whole bag of something that tastes bad (laughs) because it's good for you. (laughs) So I don't know if you like them. Great. But yeah, like it wasn't, it wasn't going to give me the satisfaction that I was wanting from a gummy candy for. So I don't see the point in it. So anyway, that's what I had this week. Yummy. My algorithms are so crazy. I can't wait to talk next week about all the things I see. Oh, I take screenshots. I am on madness of both hardcore diets and perimenopause menopause weight loss ads oh that's a lot (laughs) okay i bet it's like a whole other diet culture in peri it's a new wave of diet culture to women that typically have more disposable income than the other you know, diety. Well, and it's also targeting like, hey, we know this phase of life that you're in and like everybody knows how hard it is. And it's like, Mm -hmm. they're really using that vulnerability to get in and try to do it, but it's not coming from an actual place of helpfulness or giving you a true answer. These women are also getting smart, sweet ads to them too. Because you get to do diet math and there's fiber. Fiber helps with, you know, that menopausal belly gain, weight gain, according to all the ads. We, I see. we have to end it here. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, it's gonna get ugly real fast. <laughs> yeah. I sure hope we gave you something new to think about today and helped you take one more step on your path to freeing yourself from diet culture. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Instagram at path underscore nutrition. If you're looking to work with us, please visit our website at pathnutrition.com to get started. Bye. Bye everyone.